Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Genesis Block. Um, in today's podcast, we have Yash presenting a thematic analysis on the Web3 gaming ecosystem. Uh, so Yash, with that, over to you. Right. So just before we get into gaming, just a breakdown on why blockchain is useful, right? So usually when you're trying to make any transaction of value, and you're trying to exchange assets, there's always a centralized intermediary who has to oversee the transaction, authenticate users, and they end up taking quite high transaction fees for their services, right? Blockchain technology removes that centralized intermediary and replaces it with a ledger, uh, which basically decentralized validators all over the world uh, secure, right? So these decentralized validators are incentivized uh, more more fairly and correctly as compared to banks uh, because they have an active interest in the growth of the token itself. Like if you look at Ethereum or Bitcoin, for example, if the price of Ethereum and Bitcoin goes up because these validators are, you know, um, basically rewarded Ethereum or Bitcoin, they would also be, you know, very, very well incentivized to ensure the security of the network so that the price goes up and so that, you know, this virtuous cycle continues. Um, and the same kind of logic applies to gaming because traditionally games are developed by, you know, these big game developers and the in-game currencies are usually, you know, completely firstly controlled by the in-game developer. And secondly, you can't really exchange that in-game currency for any real world money. So all your time and effort that you put into the game remains within the game and it kind of is a wasted effort in a way if you look at it you know from trying to be productive etc crypto comes in and completely turns that on its head because now for the first time you can you know buy and trade and sell currency and exchange it for other assets like you know stable coins and ethereum etc and it's really given an opportunity for uh, gamers to come in and make real money and actually be rewarded for their time instead of having their time considered wasted, right? So that is the main promise, I guess, of Web3 and crypto uh, to monetize games and gamer, uh, you know, man hours into real money, right? So before we get into, you know, details of the gaming market, do you guys have anything you want to say? No, nothing, uh, nothing as such. Yeah, All right. covered the main two points. I mean, right. So, okay. So before we get into details of how, you know, what the pros and cons of gaming, let's just do an overview of the gaming crypto ecosystem. So crypto gaming hit its peak towards the end of 2021. Uh, and this is, you know, when there was crypto was at peak hype and speculation and greed and the fully diluted market cap of the biggest game, Axie Infinity, reached an astounding $43 billion with the Axie token reaching $160. Now, obviously, since then, uh, gaming anyways being a very risky industry and crypto also being ris risky itself, gaming crypto is one of the riskiest markets you can invest in. And it crashed from its all-time highs, rightfully so, with most games losing you know, 99% of the currency value. 
Now, there are many different aspects. One is obviously the general macro environment. Uh, and the second thing is basically that game developers of you know crypto games haven't yet figured out the perfect model for tokenomics. And usually what ends, ends up happening in game is lots of hyperinflation of the main currency because tokenomics have not really been ironed out yet in the Web3 crypto gaming space. But still today there are you know lots of games that you know people still go and play crypto games i mean they don't really the numbers don't really compare to the biggest games out there like fortnite or minecraft for example but there has been definite user onboarding since this peak and uh, it has gotten a lot a lot of more people into the crypto gaming space so games like splinterlands alien worlds farmers world they all have like you know 100,000 to 200,000 users, which is quite a high number if you think about how deep a bear market we are in currently, right? Um, the other problem is there's a steep learning curve with crypto because users need to learn how to create a wallet, operate a wallet, and there's just too much friction because of that. And it's not as easy to just you know go and download a game and start playing it as it is in just traditional gaming. Second thing is, um, there's a lot of scalability bottlenecks on blockchains currently, especially games built on Ethereum. Uh, users, usually for any interaction, they have to pay you know, gas fees, which can be really high during peak market demand. And blockchains need to kind of solve for gaming and allow microtransactions to be more seamless than they are currently. Uh, and the last thing is that because these games want to, you know, kind of take advantage of this hype and speculation. They they release games with a very short development cycle. And hence there was a greater focus on tokens and earning and you know the whole play to earn and play and earn and all of these different metas, so to speak. And they focused on that instead of the actual core gameplay, which is why most people came like into the crypto gaming space. For example, Axie Infinity, the the country of Philippines made up 40% of all of its users. And they only played the game because at its peak, it allowed them to earn money, which they could not have normally earned uh, just working normal jobs in the Philippines, which is kind of crazy, but it kind of shows that, you know, users and gamers were incentivized to play the game, but they didn't really enjoy playing it. They did it only because of the money, right? And long term, I don't think that's a sustainable business model because the way it worked is it just rewarded earlier users who could then sell at a higher price to users who came in later into the game with no real output that could justify that higher price, essentially, which is you know a typical Ponzi scheme style. Um, so that was the these are the main problems with crypto gaming. Uh, before there was we go a, and- just just there was a really good article by Kobe actually going over the entire Ponzi-nomics gaming model of Axie Infinity, you know. So he was essentially like, if you think of a box and then you click that box and you keep on pressing that box and you get a lot of money when you first, a lot of money and a lot of rewards when you first press that box and you keep on pressing the box and box and box and then the amount of money flow um, that comes out of the box over time significantly reduces, right? And it tends towards zero, obviously, because you can't keep on rewarding people for just pressing a box. And that's essentially what Axie Infinity was when, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the action or a lot of the gameplay on Axie Infinity was just grift. 
it wasn't really fun gameplay it was just like pressing a button a billion times until the um, until the amount of rewards that you got from pressing that button tended towards zero so that in a nutshell is how kobe and probably i would also describe the early state of uh, web3 gaming which is just completely you know oh we've it was just on that sliding scale of play to earn it was way more on earn and way less on actually enjoying gameplay yeah definitely i mean kobe also was the one who you know was a strong proponent of axi and then it crashed and then he had this whole realization so i mean it's great that he did but it also take it with a pinch of salt i guess yeah take it with a pinch of salt maybe i think but the, the fact that he you know admitted that you know i was completely wrong that also has its own merit i would say yeah i think it, it was just the spec you, you know how 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 um, grandiose what was happening was and what i mean by that is people like you mentioned philippines were actually earning more than um you know minimum wage in what what they could earn in philippines um so instead of doing any job which which gives them what they are legally you know uh, at least minimum wage that they legally earned uh, uh, you know uh, should be getting um this by just clicking a box <laughs> they got more um and that i mean people in the bull market used as an example of what why you know why the bull market is different this time poor and cold um yeah and then, then of course then we know what happened uh so i think, I think it's when, speculation when, and um yeah. uh, foresight when prices when prices go up people will justify it with anything right like because right. you're just so blinded by this in these insane movements in prices that you don't even see anywhere else really where coins just 100x etc and axie was one of those coins and and people just couldn't see far enough into the future of how this would pan out when this you know i mean clearly there was a there was a loop of value accrual which is why the price went so high but that loop also worked the same way when the price kind of fell so it was a rapid rise and rapid fall and that that was only because of the way the tokenomics were designed right yeah and and i mean we all were blinded by it right i mean i remember when For the sure. entire axi craze was happening um taki mccormick released an article that kind of got me into i mean i didn't i never played axi cuz honestly um i didn't want to spunk a bunch of money on buying those axes um in the first place which i guess can tell you a lot about the flaw of the model but um yeah like just looking at the raw numbers like it was just on a hockey stick curve right and we were all in a mania um and i think for a lot of us it was our first learning experience with such manias i think that once you see what's on the other side and you know what you what you got wrong at that point in time it's the best learning experience you can have so um yeah sky mavis is the five wallets that controlled the multisig they all got hacked by north korea and 600 million dollars were siphoned out of the ecosystem which is kind of crazy and it's the biggest hack in crypto history um so yeah i mean there's lots of greed speculation but the security of the game which should have been better because it was blockchain was compromised quite easily so that's another aspect of gaming that we would need to discuss as to how much of the game's data should be on chain like for sure all transactions should be on chain etc but even like do small changes that the you know like actions that a player takes need to be recorded on a blockchain or can that be stored on centralized servers and only the money aspect of it is you know on chain 
uh, I mean, that's a design design choice. I think for a game to be successful, it would have to be partly centralized, partly decentralized, with the money part definitely being on-chain because blockchains are inherently more secure. And the rest of the gameplay, etc., can be, you know, stored on a server controlled by the game itself. I don't see the problem in that. Um, anyway, uh, now let's go on to the pros of crypto gaming because we've not really... We've only talking about how shit it is, but there's definitely um, some great aspects to it, which is why everyone is so excited about the space. So the number one is obviously ownership and tradability. Uh, so the way I think think about it is, imagine when you play Fortnite, and let's say you buy like a really good skin, or you make, are you through the battle pass, you were an early player, and you you know you got the best skins. Imagine you could trade those skins in for real money, right? Because such a big game if it explodes and you were early to it um and you collect you know you collect these very rare skins emotes whatever you can now you know sell that for real money if it was a web3 game that was on chain which is just i mean i i, I can imagine that people would play pay crazy amount of money for some skins um the second they thing that block... which they already yeah, do I... right like on yeah, fortnite I... and stuff yeah, I mean, you can illegally kind of buy accounts and you can give skins to people and they can pay you on the side, etc. There's obviously a black market. No, no, of sorts that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I meant it in terms of uh, not saying that, you know, this is something Fortnite already does. So why crypto? More like um, there is an established market for this. Like the the skins market in, the, in, in Fortnite in general is so big, right? So it's not like this is some number that we're dreaming up out of nowhere it's like there's established demand for these things yeah definitely and the crazy thing is these skins emotes have no bearing on gameplay it's just to flex on people and still people spend so much money on it so yeah it doesn't have to be you know it doesn't have to be pay to win like a game like fortnite the the gameplay itself is so fun and so addictive that you'll always want to go in for that one more round and i think that's what any game would strive to do is, you know, make sure that people always want to come back, always want to play more, and it's addictive, right? And the rush when you get when you kill a player, for example, that's unmatched compared to most other games. Um, right. So the second thing that crypto would, you know, the, the way it would benefit gaming is an improved player experience. So let's say instead of a game developer, for example, uh, with Fortnite, um, they kind of, set the creative uh, roadmap for the game. They are making all the decisions and players just can't, kind of have to take it, right? And there's so many times they keep changing the meta and they kind of break the game over and over again by introducing new weapons, etc. Imagine instead of them taking, calling all the shots, instead it's a community-built game or community-governed game where users can come in and you know, make proposals, for example, that this is what we want to build for the game. They can get funded for it. They can get paid for it. You know, imagine if players could come and just uh, build creative maps, for example, and build game modes that people could come in and play and be rewarded somehow for those creations. That would greatly enhance the number of things happening in the Fortnite ecosystem. You know, the number of different ways, directions it could go. Because it's community built, people all over the world have ideas. If they could build out more rapidly, and you know, they could also it would also be more um, 
like the com community would have to vote on it so you know that you're building something that everyone wants unlike epic games which just kind of does things and you know people have to take it right so that's another aspect of it by crypto could really really help um uh, yeah i think that's an interesting point i'm not a hundred percent sure whether i would agree in terms of you know oh a community-led game is the most effective way of creating a game i mean like there have been so many games created by gaming studios and when like things like stories which have um which have a, a structured vision behind them where it's a lot more compact and where someone's it's it's the output of someone's vision right um i i think that that can in many occasions be more powerful than a community led story or a community led game um that that comes out from a story because i feel like that could just be a little more watered down or or well um i i don't think humans are meant to create to that level of uh depth in a group but again like it's not it's not like the option shouldn't be there all we're doing is advocating for options and all crypto allows for is greater optionality so it's not like you know giving people the option and the ability to create games together is inherently a bad thing and it's going to stop individual games from coming out it's yeah i in terms of the success factor though i would rather bet on a gaming studio um like rockstar games or something like that uh to come up with a a, a joint vision of how game should look like but again yeah uh, you know it's it's, I, it's I up for debate a, i think it's a function of the quality of the community because when it comes to just lore and you know game story um there are a lot of examples of when uh communities and and in web 2 the community would be the fan base um them coming up with a lot of you know fan fiction and fan uh variants of the future of the you know of the of the even for marvel for example or or if you look at the anime community there's huge fan fiction and naruto dragon ball and so on and so forth um so in that aspects i actually do think um there's a lot of merit in community led uh you know uh growth of narrative let's say but then to your earlier point in terms of where the existing organizational structures actually do better is actually putting stuff together because you know there's a lot of like te technical development financial you know um just backing planning and backing to be done and from that standpoint it's still to be seen if a decentralized community can actually execute on those type of projects um so i think it, that's to be seen but in terms of story i definitely do see uh lore i should say i think there's a lot of merit in community-led um you know uh projects yeah yeah i think that can go either way actually i mean if you think of for example game of thrones uh and the last couple of seasons i mean everything that i saw on reddit <laughs> on you know our free folk or whatever everything that i saw on reddit was better than what they put exactly, together exactly exactly yeah, literally right? they could have done anything differently and it would have been better like they chose i think they yeah. chose the worst possible route to get to the yeah. finale yeah but but anyway sorry yash go on um yeah so i mean to summarize i think the uh, a model that could work here is that you know a big game studio or any studio they develop the game in a centralized way initially because you know they can control the rate of development you know they'll have all their coders together etc and they can develop the game and then if the game takes off and it has a massive community behind it then they can think about decentralizing 
ownership over the game using a token, obviously. And then once the game is established and you have your core gameplay, then and you know the community likes it and there's a you know like a lot of fans of the game, etc. For a game like Fortnite, for example. They decentralize the community now, the governance of the Fortnite ecosystem. Mm-hmm. It would be massively beneficial because Epic Games has already come in and built the game, right? The core engine, the mechanics, etc. are already done. And that's not really going to change because that's why people are playing the game in the first place. You um, know, I, I, I actually would disagree slightly with that. Um, and this is just speculation. But to me, what logically makes sense is if a studio in the beginning, yes, they would, they would conceptualize and develop a game completely in a centralized fashion um but then in the second part when they launch it and the game is you know getting traction if it does astoundingly well something like a Fortnite um or that level of success um i don't in fact in those situations i i i would think that the rational thing to do is to would to keep control of it because then the value would accrue to them but in a situation where a game doesn't do as well then it wouldn't even make financial sense for them to you know continue pouring resources in it where they're not getting that commensurate return. And in those situations, maybe it might be better to, you know, give the community ownership of it. So at least the people who actually believe in the game might, you know, take it forward in whatever form or fashion. And in that in that sense, then they also have the ability to redirect resources to a game, a future game or a game that already is doing really well for them. Yeah, that's a fair point. I guess it depends game to game, I guess, how they want to, you yeah. know. And the, and the value it. capture mechanism. Yeah, and also, I mean, what this basically shows is that you have a variety of ways in which to give ownership back to your fans um, in whatever way, shape or form you want to write. I mean, you can give it to lo- people um, if, if you're not going to continue working on a on a project and there are still avid loyal fans of that, um, you know, like a cult following or something, you can pass it over to them. Or if you want to truly decentralize the game after a certain amount of time, let's say, you know, after a year or two um, of the game being out there, then you can do that as well. And the, the, the at the core of all of these, right, is the fact that for especially for things like this, you need to have a very, very carefully and uh, carefully thought out and structured governance mechanism because you don't want games uh, and like g- gamers are probably some of the more vocal um, fans of any types of media that are out there. You don't want to make it seem like, oh, you're telling them we're going to decentralize, give ownership, but still control essential elements or allow, you know, that ownership to be corrupted by outside elements. Like, for example, a one token, one vote thing where, you know, someone can just buy off a ton of tokens in the secondary marketplace, right? Like you should kind of try and link it to the amount um, that people are playing off that game and then reward them in in that manner and then have a very uh, fit for purpose governance mechanism uh, for that game i mean these governance mechanisms should not really be replicable and they should uh, across games unless the games and the communities are very similar so it, it they should be a lot more bespoke and therefore that's how you will keep fans happy and allow them to positively influence the future direction of the game definitely right so i think that mainly covers you know the pros of web3 gaming it's economic incentive alignment chance to earn real money uh community built games if if done properly uh and really decentralization of ownership of the game as well right it could 
I mean, community community builds build games only make sense if people have ownership in the game because then they're incentivized to make the game better. Anyway, there's also uh, other problems with uh, crypto gaming and the way the different models that kind of came to light in 2021. So the one, the first thing uh, I saw or noticed was that lots of games started releasing NFTs, right? So the NFT craze started before gaming where, you know, first it was just NFT art that people went crazy over buying. After that, it was, you know, PFP projects where, you know, they release a standard set of 10,000 similar but different, um, you know, profile picture type projects like the Body Yacht Club, for example. And then gaming, game, gaming studios and developers, they also started doing the same thing where they release NFTs to kind of raise money from the minting. And then they would use that money to create a game, which the NFTs could then be used for. But the problem with that is there's a clear pay to win type of mechanic happening where, where you firstly, to get access to the game itself, you need to own an NFT, which I think is kind of crazy. The game should be more accessible than that. And the second thing is, by releasing only 10,000, you're kind of limiting the number of players who can come in and play the game from the first place, right? So in two ways, NFTs, the way they kind of did it didn't really make any sense. Uh, the second thing was, uh, you know, how DeFi had liquidity mining, gaming gaming studios, etc. They kind of did the same thing with their tokens, where you can, you know, stake your tokens and just earn more tokens in the future. And this was kind of a mechanism put into place to... Uh, you know, attract capital so that many people would stake and this would lead to upward price pressure because lots of people come in and stake for the rewards in the future. But when the rewards come in the future, they'll unstake and they'll sell all those rewards. So it's kind of a pointless exercise where you're just staking to get money in the future and you don't really care about the game, right? You're just trying to, you know, yield farm and get the hell out. That's another thing that games did, which obviously an unsustainable model because capital is constantly going to leave the gaming ecosystem. Um, and the third thing is that during the mania, because of gas costs and because of very high demand, the people who actually wanted to come in and play games, they had to, there was an absurd barrier to entry caused by upward price movements. And to play Axie Infinity at its peak, you would need to pay several thousands of dollars to buy three Axies so that you could go and play the game. So those are lots of different problems with crypto gaming that need to be solved for. Uh, potential solutions are, you know, kind of cap the barrier to entry, cap the cost of entering the ecosystem so that, you know, the cost of entering is not bound by demand and supply and speculation where it gets prohibitively expensive to enter the game. The second thing is we need to do away with, you know, these staking and liquidity mining schemes. It's quite clear that it was a way to attract capital, but long-term it's not a sustainable business model for sure because you're just giving away money for free to people just for staking. Uh, and the last thing that I saw is that none of the games they actually made were any good. Like to actually play, they weren't fun. Uh, and I think people need to, and studios need to start prioritizing making a fun game before they introduce the Web3 and crypto aspect of it. Because long-term, people will only come back to a game if it's fun. They're not going to come back for the economics of the game, right? Gaming is supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be studious or whatever. Um, and the last thing is that there was a constant outflow of capital because of the way these games were designed. Uh, 
like people were constantly incentivized to take the tokens they own and just go and sell them, right? And every time you sell these tokens, that's money leaving that gaming ecosystem, right? So you they need to figure out a way to keep that money in and incentivize gamers to use their in-game currency for other uses other than just going and selling it. So these were like the four main things that were problems. Um, and now before we go forward and discuss how we can actually design a really good crypto game do you all have any thoughts yeah uh, one thing one thing i'll um you know add on to uh, what you said is instead of a price cap i think most games will have to compete with existing gaming models and and the, and probably the most popular gaming model is free to play um right uh, led obviously the poster boy of that is um you know fortnite um so having a price cap in my opinion would might I mean could work in select cases, but in most cases might not actually end up working. And the way to actually create monetary value and or, or I should say tangible value would be just from you know fans enjoying the game and seeing and seeing and deriving value from that. Um, so instead of a price cap, make the let, let the barrier to entry you know financially um, moot, like uh, make it you know accessible to everyone, and then be the sole function of value be the uh how fun the game is right um and that's exactly that's essentially what games like fortnite are doing the value is derived only from people come wanting to come back and play more i definitely agree with that i think that the number one takeaway from what you said and what i've also observed is that the most important thing is that a game just has to be fun to play like you don't really need to focus on the earn the the reason that people uh, the reason that gamers get annoyed with NFTs and crypto and all of that is because it's very obvious that they are just focusing on the earn element and not really on the on the play element, right? And and that's also well, like the gamers are like, well, we didn't really ask for the earn element, and you're not making good games, and you're it just seems like you're trying to rip us off um, by just selling us random things that you say are unique, right? And the the marketing's not been done well. Like no one really understands in that space what an NFT can actually do and like what its future prospects for the gaming ecosystem are. And no one's really focused on the play aspect of it. So you have to organically drive users back in via your gameplay. And that's actually the most powerful thing that can be done. Like crypto is an augmentation to a game. It's it it elevates a game, um. But but the but to get from zero to like a hundred, a game has to be good in itself, and then crypto provides that hundred plus. You know that's that that's kind of my opinion on um on, on how crypto can augment gaming and gamefi in general. Um, and obviously, like there are many ways in which a carefully designed tokenomics can help keep users in that ecosystem and keep coming back. But it's not the primary driver for people to keep coming back into that ecosystem. What should be the primary driver is, you know, how how your storyline is, like how the game is, how the gameplay is, how the graphics are, literally everything that makes up a game and makes it valuable today. Those are what is are still going to be important about a game because let's be honest, there has there have been some absolutely fantastic games that have come out in the last few years. I mean, I, like through the first part of COVID, I literally spent an absurd amount of hours playing Red Dead Redemption Two, and let me tell you, I didn't, I don't think that there was any crypto element that could have uh, that that you know I felt like was needed to make that game better. Could it have been augmented by it by creating like Yash? I think you're going to talk about sinks and faucets and all those kinds of things. But could it have been augmented by it? Of course. 
did was it integral to my enjoyment of the game no and that's the important part to realize that crypto is not the thing that's going to drive people towards games it's the games and the gameplay itself so that has to be the main part of it yeah yeah definitely the way i'd see it is um instead of wanting to go and earn something from a game if a game is really fun and i'm paying 10 dollars and i own maybe you know i get back 3 dollars but i had a shit ton of fun playing that game i'd take that any day over you know exactly. trying to invest in a game and try to make money out of it right gaming inherently is meant to be entertainment and exactly in a way um what you know what play to earn showed is that people will try to earn money in any way and but that is not the future that crypto gaming should strive towards because we want to make gaming more fun and make experiences that would not be possible in current web2 games and that i'm not talking about the own aspect of it like other ways of incentivizing player and making kind of more seamless experiences in terms of transactions etc that should be what crypto is striving for like the way a player can earn money should depend on his you know skill in the game not just how much he can click right it should be exactly. that it's like a like in fortnite a, a really good player should earn money because he's good at the game and it should be that people kind of put in money and gamble in a way and the best players kind of make money right out of the game it should be that inflows are greater than outflows that's the way the game will make money yeah and i mean people really underestimate how difficult it is to actually make a good game i mean i've been watching my flatmate play that new horizon game for about like a month and it's so intricately designed i mean uh, there there's so many different considerations that go into every frame and every action that like the main character can take and that's why it takes years to come up with this stuff i mean people in crypto going like oh you know like oh the games are just going to be uh, stratospherically improved just cuz we introduce some tokens into it is just it's why people are <laughs> it's why people get annoyed at this space because we we don't need to try and impose our will onto anything we can try and improve the games and work with the gaming studios and with you know um and and you know create triple a or like double a games or whatever they call um with you know og gaming uh game developers and try to help them improve their product rather than just coming in and saying oh no you guys don't know what you're talking about we've got a better product we know we know what's you know we know what's good it's it's not the way to go about it yeah and one thing one thing which you brought out earlier which is very important is the marketing of things right and then not just play to own even though play to own serves as a great case in point but across the crypto industry marketing has been uh, you know not done well and as a derivative of that it's there a lot of you know uh, uh misinformation being spread right uh, like i was seeing a a video the other day on 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 that I was covering this whole game uh backlash uh, backlash of uh game 5 by the gamers um and one of the main reasons was the environmental concerns right even though that's been pretty well documented now that that's not really as true as they make it sound so marketing yes game 5 has to definitely increase uh, improve but i think it's true for across the board man and the whole industry definitely figure out how to actually go about it definitely um so with that let's move on to you know how exactly to design a game it doesn't not just a crypto game any game with a functioning economy needs to 
it's basically a mini economy, right? And you need to make the correct decisions for your economy to make sure it lasts for, you know, a good amount of time into the future. So, so different aspects of a gaming economy are essentially uh, your currencies and your resources. So a currency in-game is basically, it has no other use other than the fact that you can pay and exchange your currency for other items within the game. That is what how, how you define currency. And a resource is something that has some kind of use in-game, but you may or may not be able to also exchange or, you know, burn your resources to create another resource, right? So that's just a basic distinction I want to make before we go further uh, between currencies and resources, right? Um, so now how do you con connect all your currencies and resources and ensure they flow the right way within your economy? So there are different aspects. So the for five different aspects that I look at uh, or that are generally accepted are known as sources, sinks, uh, converters, traders, and your inventory, right? So what are sources and sinks? It's very simple. Sources are your, the way the currency and resources are created within the game. And sinks are the way currency and resources are destroyed within the game or used up for something else, right? So to for any functioning economy, you want your sources to kind of uh, be well balanced by your sinks to ensure that there aren't too many sources and too little sinks such that there's lots and lots of currency being created within the game, but players don't have anything to use their currency and resources on, which ends up, you know, players don't like they do, they don't use it for anything. So they just end up kind of hoarding their currency and price of items within the game don't really matter to them anymore because they already have so much currency, right? So you need to ensure that um, whenever money is created within the game, it has some kind of future use where players are incentivized to spend it, right? Whether it be, you know, trade in for items or, you know, upgrade your skill level or whatever, there should be enough things to ensure that players constantly want to strive and earn more currency. And that's how you keep getting players back into the game, right? Uh, the other two aspects, converters and traders, um, so a converter is basically how you can go and change one resource into another. So let's say, for example, in a game like, I'm not sure which game exactly, but let's say you were mining iron ore. If you mine enough iron ore, you can convert that into steel, for example, right? Or some, a basic example like that, where your resources, resources are converted from one thing to another. And when they're converted, you're kind of, you have the new thing and the old thing is burnt in a way. Uh, and then the traders are es essentially players, uh, even in a traditional game where they exchange one currency for another, right? So they are basically a user. And the last thing is the inventory. So the inventory is a limited amount of items that your player can kind of hold with them, right? So making inventory decisions is also a crucial aspect because you kind of have to make trade-offs. Uh, and trade-offs are good within a game because then you have many different options uh, of, you know, of which a gamer can kind of take within the game. So these are your five uh, kind of aspects or pillars of your economy. And you have to manage these different pillars in the correct way, right? So GD Keys is like one of the best blogs I've ever seen about, uh, you know, how to design games. And they came up with a bunch of rules to ensure that your economy, your gaming economy works correctly, right? So 
The rule number one that they have is define the number of sources and sinks of a currency by how much agency you want your players to have in playing or progressing through your game systems, which is what we just discussed. That your, your sources of currency create currency, but they need sinks so that the currency flows and you know this currency is actually utilized and there's not kind of hyperinflation of the currency. Uh, the next rule uh, is related to generosity. So what is generosity exactly? Gen generosity is how how generous you want to be with players when when it comes to rewarding them with currency, right? So if you're too generous, then you're rewarding them with too much currency, and you know the price of in-game items ends up not mattering to them because they already have so much currency because you're too generous. But if you're too stingy, also then players don't feel like they are incentivized to continue playing the game because they're just not making enough to go and you know upgrade or buy things within the game that they normally could. So the second rule is uh, you need to be perfectly generous in a way, which is obviously easier said than done, but you need to balance out how generous you are with players. Uh, you need to be like the perfect balance of generous and stingy with them to ensure that you know, you're not leaning far towards either way, because either way, it's catastrophic for the game long term. Um, rule number three is that a balance between a currency's sources and sinks can vary over time and use this relationship to drive players' behavior and cater to their current needs. What this means is that in the beginning, for example, you could reward players a lot more because then they kind of feel like, oh, I'm playing the game and I'm earning things and it's good. And then they can spend when they keep earning, right? But throughout the life cycle of the game, you can't keep rewarding players at the same rate because eventually you will be rewarding them too much. So a way you can design it is that early in the game, the gamer is rewarded a lot. And as the game progresses, they're rewarded less and less uh, so that it gets tougher and tougher because they've already gained so many resources, right? So that's one way to kind of ensure a balanced gameplay throughout the life cycle of the game for the player. Um, before we go further, any thoughts, comments? Yeah, I mean, this is much like, how do you, it's so difficult to achieve these equilibria, right? Cause, yeah. um, I mean, like <laughs> you're trying, you're the perfect level of generosity, for example, like how do you test for that? What, what are the, I mean, how, how would you go about testing that? How would you go about testing, for example, uh, how much the appropriate amounts of rewards to give are in the first place? Um, you know, at the start of the life cycle, and then what is the level of depreciation of those rewards, right? Like, how, how do you, uh, what is the process used to uh, come to an understanding of what that equilibrium point might be? I mean, and you I don't mean, need to know this, it's just... Yeah, you know, it's really tough, right? Because they're like, even within the people playing the game, they'll be so <laughs> diverse, right? Everyone will, their mind works differently. So they want to do different things within the game. So... It's very tough to optimize for a single kind of truth, I guess, because gamers want different things and there'll always be you know, some kind of friction, you know, friction, etc. Yeah, exactly. So I don't there's no game, by the way, ever that has not ended up hyperinflating their currency and then having to use like drastic measures to counter that. Uh, yeah. And that's simply I... that it's basically if you look at it, any in-game currency is a fiat currency, right? It's not backed by anything and it doesn't have any supply cap usually so inevitably it will get hyperinflated and you the way game developers kind of deal with that is 
they seem like temporary measures in a way. Like if you look at GTA, for example, um, most people now have earned so much money within the game that money has no value to them really, right? The value comes from the things the money can buy. And if you can buy everything within the game because you have so much of it, um, the game kind of becomes non-competitive, Boring. right? Boring, yeah. You can just buy the best cars, etc. So what they started doing is constant price increases to kind of counter the amount of money people have. So a, like I was looking at a chart, which was very interesting. It was the price of a car within GTA in 2013 and now. Okay, the price of that car in 2013 was 66,000 in-game dollars. That price now is, is around $2.7 million. So that's the kind of hyper inflation you're seeing within GTA. And that's why you're also seeing drastic price increases to kind of cope with that. Um, yeah, I remember by like the end of Pokemon, for example, you just had so much money. Like you just, you could just buy like whatever yeah. you wanted because you just won all that money by like fighting the um you know the championship or whatever it was so like it it's just I, I yeah i get the difficulty of doing that and and i'm sure that there are many innovative ways of kind of um adjusting for that um but yeah makes sense yeah exactly um so the next thing we can go on to is essentially recognizing that within your game you'll have different sub economies and what I mean by that is your game kind of works in different phases, right? The way I see it is there's a introduction or exploration phase where, you know, you're introduced to the game. So there's a few resources, et cetera, that you kind of interact with, et cetera. Um, so that's the first aspect of the game. Then the middle aspect is with the core or the body of the game where you kind of understand how the game works and you're, you know, deep into it and it ends up you'll end up needing a higher skill level to be at that place in the game. And that usually ends up having different resources, etc. because you obviously need to upgrade from your basic level to your intermediate level, right? And then the last aspect of the game is when you're like a master of the game and you reach end game and only, you're only incentivized by, you know, certain rare loot or features, etc. And that's your reason to come back to the game. So that's the usual life cycle of a game where the players introduce the game then they start playing the game seriously in the middle, the core gameplay, and then the ending where they basically defeated the game and they're only coming back for those rare things that they could basically find, right? And mapping these different sub-economies and pillars together is kind of really crucial in a way, and it directs how the player is going to uh, be incentivized throughout the game. So you need to ensure that your sub you recognize your different sub economies you recognize the different resources for your different sub economies and ensure that this resource distribution in a way is as balanced as possible and there's no you know outsized way to kind of earn resources and if any way you earn resources it should be as fair as possible it shouldn't be that there's a meta in the game because any kind of game that has a meta, it, it usually gets broken and then it gets broken and it needs a, some kind of patch. Uh, so to start itself, you should design your game in a way where there's no particular meta. So like there's games where you can be a warrior, you can be a wizard, etc. It shouldn't be that being choosing to go into one of those parts is easier and better compared to other parts. Right? Each way there should be trade-offs. Trade-offs are great for gamers, as I said before. 
So yeah, that's another rule. Ensure that your sub-economies are perfectly balanced and resources are well, well allocated, essentially. Uh, so the next rule is that the, your number of currencies will be dictated by your systems, their relationships, the level of player agency and freedom your game requires, and the safety nets you need to put around key systems. All this means is that if your game has multiple currencies, you need to ensure, like I had said before with currencies, you need to ensure that your currencies can be exchanged at a fair rate. It's such that, like, like let's say in a game where you can own gold or silver and you can exchange your gold or silver for other items, it shouldn't be that earning gold is way more profitable for you and you can exchange for a much higher amount of uh, you know of resources as compared to a proportional amount of silver it should be well balanced either way even in that aspect not just resources even the currency should be well balanced uh the next rule is that now you have your currency you have your resources what you need to do is kind of project those into the future and see how it would flow right so for example in gta they if they had done some kind of exercise they would have figured out that obviously users are going to own a shit ton of money and if we keep prices, uh, you know, what they were in 2013, money will have absolutely no value because people will have so much of it and the prices are just so low that people could just go and buy anything in the game. And that's really not fun anymore because if, you, if you're like the king already or you're like God within the game, there's no, like you've already broke, like you've already beat the game, right? There's no reason to come back to the game really. So it should always be, a challenge and there should be trade-offs for a game to be interesting. Uh, so projecting the value of your currencies into the future is crucial to kind of see whether players will end up and whether it's a place you want them to be and, and whether it's competitive enough for them. Uh, before we go further, any thoughts? Yeah, I guess that like this is a lot about how you design a good game in general. But what is the what's the crypto angle here? Like, what is the web three angle in terms of why, why is web three important in this, right? Like, cause you can design a currency that does all these things. You can design a game that does all these things without needing any angle or component of, of web three in it. What is the true value proposition of web three here? Like, why is it, why is it needed? So web three is needed. Uh, I would say because currently the way games are designed, there's no, seamless tradability and exchange of assets that's really there you're kind of your counterparty is always the game developer and they are in complete control of the currency right and that could be beneficial but i think that's mostly detrimental because if the community was governed by a bunch of token holders they would have more of an a reason and incentivization to ensure that the economy func is functioning as well as possible and that currency inflation is in control because if the currency hyperinflates, you automatically, as a owner or community owner of the game, by having owning the governance tokens, are uh, kind of getting screwed because currency is getting hyperinflated and you know player interest is going to drop over time because your currency is getting hyperinflated and it has no value anymore to players. Uh, so that is where I think Web three can come in and really change it by ensuring that there's incentivization for everyone to want this economy to succeed rather than putting the entire onus on the game developer and kind of just taking those changes right yeah also i think the the rules that you're going over right now are more to you know 
to how to construct a, a good game economy or sustainable game economy and the web3 angle to it um for games as a whole is just what we what we what you spoke about earlier right which is ownership provenance liquidity i mean that's that's all that web3 is offering which is massive in its own right um but these rules that we are going over are integral for web3 games to keep into consideration because right now they're not um and only then will web3 games really fulfill its promise right and that's why it's important to go over these sort of um exercises even though this particular thing doesn't have a direct correlation with you know web3 or web2 it's applicable to both yeah that that makes sense i just wanted to clarify in terms of you know um whether this is just broadly applicable or, or whether we were getting to a web3 point but i think that yeah um in terms of the the benefits it's just the benefits that that we've spoken about for the last however many episodes we've done right um the same benefits translate it's about how you use those core primitives to yeah. enhance your gameplay i guess so um yeah i'm i'm yash i don't know if you if you got this but if there's any concrete examples that you can use in terms of uh you know how like a web3 primitive like how how for example getting more liquidity um could improve the gameplay of a of a game for example um and and where it might actually be more beneficial for users yeah i mean i don't have the example of it off the top of my head but i think the tradeability aspect gets way more enhanced with crypto uh and also yeah as sid said liquidity right uh, it's way easier to bootstrap liquidity in crypto as compared to traditional markets like you can introduce a token to raise money in the first place to create the game or you can that if it's a community owned game and you want to create like a specific storyline or something you can raise that money way more easily from a community of decentralized users as compared to a game developer who's you know it's very centralized and you know they can take considerations from the community but the community has no actual final say on it right it's uh core gameplay i'm not sure how why crypto is needed to enhance gameplay it's more around the economic aspects of it and incentivization by crypto will come in core gameplay i mean we're already seeing amazing games i don't see how crypto can change the core gameplay like let's like see an for example fortnite the core gameplay has nothing to do with crypto it's just an amazing game to play it's addictive right fortnite would yeah. get augmented where you know v bucks etc your skins etc could be tradable and you could kind of make real money off it that's where the value comes in because currently once you put in money into fortnite it's into v bucks you can never exchange it back for normal money right it's gone like it's I gone money gone i think that makes gone. sense and and i think that another another thing that i would say is just on the flaunting angle right i mean like if you go got let, let's say that you're playing a game and you've gotten to like the last um stage of it and you've gotten this really sick sword or something that no one else has um and you know everyone knows how everyone who plays that game knows how difficult it is to get it well like if you if you're sitting there like playing against the computer and you've just got a sword in your wallet and no, you can't really display it uh, to anyone else well that's kind of pointless and like you get that internal satisfaction saying oh my god i did this but you can't really show it off and i think that one of the main ways in which games could actually be augmented by crypto is in 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 actually transporting those items if that items are nft right you can display it in your nft gallery and you can show it on like any like nft social media app or whatever um like try showtime maybe or you can you can just 
you you can just like put it as a badge on um some social media profile that you've got maybe on lens or maybe just like a an integration with like a traditional web to um you know social media if you still use that right so i think that those are the kind of kinds of um applications of web3 that are important to games and i think it's important for us to call these out here because um it, it's it's i mean i think your points around how to construct a really good game uh, are integral for how, for you know web3 game developers to keep in mind but also for our for, for our listeners it's also very important for them to understand and you know be on the same page about well wh- why crypto for games what does it actually do and the and the base answer essentially is that well it's not going to improve your gameplay it's going to augment everything around it in terms of the economics and in terms of your experience around playing that game rather than improving upon the core gameplay and storyline or anything like that so it's an augmentation and not a not a replacement yeah i mean is, i guess my we, motto. we actually didn't cover that the main thing that crypto actually helps with is ownership of your in game assets right the reason vitalik buterin created ethereum is because he had like a game breaking item in world of warcraft right and it was a sick item and then one day the game developers just took it out of the game right and there was nothing he could do it was gone right because everything is hosted on centralized servers etc this is where crypto can really change it in that once you own an in game asset it can't be destroyed right because you're owning it directly in your wallet technically um and ownership over these gaming assets like although these assets currently are not tradable from one game to the other like you can't use your like if you had an nft for a really good item you can't use that over different games but hopefully uh, you know different let's say fps shooters let's say they you know decide to come under a common standard and apply that same standard then you can for example use guns maybe across different game fps games for example and you can kind of create gaming ecosystems where there are different games but you have nfts that are applicable to be used across different games now that is not really been seen yet and i it will be really tough to actually do this but this is another way i see nfts and you know crypto really benefiting users because now you can own an nft that's and used across multiple different games and it has lots of value and if it has value then you can assume that people would want to pay for it as well right and but, but just to keep that under like just the consideration around that is that gaming developers don't usually really want the items and the gaming assets that they create to be super interoperable because they're trying to in the initial aspect create a very um self-contained ecosystem in which those in, in which the 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 mechanics behind those items and the way they look are not really easily portable um across games so i i don't think that you know for all that that that's kind of feasible for all games but i think that the examples that we use in terms of a community building a game out while communities can build games out together different games and then decide to collaborate and um and and, and you know in, have their assets interoperate and do all of those kinds of things right so that's a completely different design space which gets opened up by by web3 and tokenization and you know building games out in this particular manner the success is yet to be seen but but again it's just it's optionality that's important and it's the and you know whether it succeeds or fails i mean that's up to the market and how the, how good the games are really right and how well the community has designed that game but um you know it, it's it, it just provides further options for what is is possible in the gaming space and that's never really a bad thing 
I think I think honestly, in terms of interoperability, more than um, and of course this is speculation. Um, but I think more than say game genres, I think it's gonna be g- game um you know game ecosystems. And what I mean by that is say like a Nintendo. Let's take Nintendo as an example. Um, a Web two version of an interoperable game, in a manner of speaking, is Super Smash Bros. Because that has characters from all different games, and I can envision a time when and, and it's and it's in Nintendo's um uh, interest to make a new game um like a Super Smash, which has very characters from all over their their universe, right? So I can easily envision a game like Super Smash or maybe Super Smash in the future, where they have a completely Web three backend, where the avatars are actually acquired by the users in their own respective games, and then they bring it to Super Smash. Um, with being actual owners of the avatars, right? So that's one example of how you can create, instead of enhancing gameplay, you're actually creating a whole new form of gameplay, right? Uh, using Web3 infrastructure. Um, so that's one possible way of how gamers might actually be uh, in favor of interoperability. I think that makes sense. Yeah. And one more thing I think we haven't really discussed is that, let's say currently you play Fortnite, but you know, the only person making money is Epic Games, right? Let's say Epic Games released a Fortnite token. And if you invest in that token, you can earn a share of the platform fees by owning the token itself, right? That's automatically a brilliant way to get, you know, more people invested into your project and have a vested interest in the success of Fortnite. Because now users own the Fortnite token, they're earning a share of trading fees. And if that token is also a governance token, they can set the future direction of where the game is going to go right so if player i mean if you know investors come in they own the token they're making a share of the fees you're kind of betting on the success of the game long term right and i wish you know i i started playing fortnite really early if there was a token on fortnite and i knew about crypto etc i would have definitely invested in fortnite because you can just see that it's a winning game because of how addictive it is right so that's another way that you know game developers can kind of open up and allow investments to come in from users, investors, et cetera. And then a lot more people have a vested interest in the success of the game, which I think kind of strengthens it. Correct. And I, and I think this to, the broad, to a broader point is that crypto enhances capital efficiency across sectors as opposed to any single game. So how we talked about, um, you know, audience in, in a prior episode, how crypto is actually you know, making the whole ecosystem, uh, a whole industry more efficient. And similarly, in gaming, cryptos is really, you know, making, um, say, like you mentioned, uh, uh, the network, starting the network effect of a game, um, you know, uh, aiding discovery in terms of, you know, um, having on-ground grassroots, uh, at a grassroots level, people actually, you know, telling others about the game because they have a vested interest. So the benefit of cryptos, at a more macro level when it comes to industry as opposed to any particular game, which of course it does, but you know, the broader point is more at a uh, industry level. Got it. Agreed. So now we've discussed, uh, you know, the kind of overview of how Web3 did in 20, Web3 Crypto Gaming did in 2021. We discussed the pros, we discussed the cons. We also discussed the best ways to kind of design a game to ensure that, you know, sinks are always greater than sources etc and to maintain the value of your in-game currencies and resources uh with that now let's we just want to make a few predictions for the future as to where we kind of think 
crypto gaming is going to go. So the first one that I think will come to fruition is that Web3 games uh, made by Web2 developers will start hitting markets in the next two, three years. So AAA games by big developers usually have, you know, very long development cycles. There's a minimum, they spend like a minimum $100, $100 million on development and another $100 million maybe on marketing. So these are huge kind of layouts of money and it takes a lot of time to, to develop a good game which is why I don't think we've ever seen like AAA Web3 games just yet because they need to make sure that their uh, game design is perfect from the get-go, unlike these games we've seen, which, you know, with shorter development cycles, with not that great gameplay with Ponzi-nomics. They've kind of just rushed it to market. A AAA game can't do that because of the amount of money they're kind of investing into the game. So they'll take that time, but I think in the next two, three years, we'll see AAA games with crypto aspects. Um, the next prediction is that uh, play to earn and play and earn, etc., are kind of, I don't think they are long-term business models. The long-term business model for any game is be a really good game. That's the first thing. So I think we'll see games come in the future with amazing graphics, etc. But the reason people will play the game is not because of the crypto aspect. It's because of the amazing gameplay and the core addictive gaming loop aspect of it. And crypto, like we had discussed, will just augment that, not be the core idea behind why you play the game, as we've seen with Axie Infinity or even Step-In, for example. Not really a game, but similar kind of uh, idea. Um, the third prediction will be, uh, is that, uh, you know, gaming NFTs will really take off and soulbound tokens, uh, and evolutionary NFTs will kind of be key to that. Soulbound tokens are useful because they're non-tradable, etc. And I can see many different use cases for having a non-tradable NFT, um, within different games. Another thing is an evolutionary NFT, which is an NFT that changes over time. So you could have a nft of your player and that nft could be constantly augmented by different nfts that are added to it or it can evolve according to rules hard-coded in, within the game right so as these nfts evolve you can then you know sell it to someone else because you've evolved it and made it such an amazing character etc that's another way um i see this working yeah, just oh. as an aside to that, right? There's actually an interesting Ethereum standard. I forgot which ERC it was, um, but it actually allows you to decompose an NFT into its con constituent parts. So like, for example, if you think of an NFT that is a human, you can make it like a head, ears, um, you know, hands, torso, uh, legs. And like, imagine a game in which you have to go and collect all of those parts to form like an NFT, which is like, you know, like it doesn't have to be human, but it can be um, like a, a very valuable, um, you know, item that you have to collect different parts of. And then you collect all of those three NFT parts and then they become one thing that you own. And, you know, you can, and, and you can see in that, in the history of that item, how you've complete, you know, collected those parts. So that's, that's, th that is the kind of innovation and composability that tokens can allow for. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I agree with you. When the next point is that because Web3 games, you know, they've commanded such high market caps in the past, it's a fair assumption to make that the best games will be highly valued and there might be overinflated values because of hype, speculation, etc. 
but because these games are commanding so much value and now this value can be exchanged for real money um the gaming economy becomes that much more crucial and the long term survival of that economy is that much more crucial because now there's real money involved in it so i predict that in the future every single big game will have a kind of central bank governor in a way or a committee that kind of governs the economy and ensures its survival over over a period of time because currently the way games are working is that they've thought out their currency for a short period of time but they've not thought about the long term implications of how they've designed their currency and only once the problem occurs do they try to go and fix it right and that's not a sustainable way for an economy to grow you need someone constantly at the helm ensuring the long term value of the currency and long term efficiency of the economy which is why i think they'll have you know these gaming the dao of the game for example will elect a committee who they'll entrust to kind of run and govern the economy and ensure uh, inflation is kept to a minimum of the currencies within the game um another prediction is that um in the near term we'll see lots of uh, web 2.5 games and lots of ponzi schemes still coming into the market because those have a much shorter development cycle and if you can market your game really well you can kind of start that ponzi loop where people start flooding in capital and you know early investors can kind of exit exit and you know sell to people who are coming into the game gaming ecosystem later and because they have shorter development cycles they can you know release games a lot quicker as compared to a big game which is a much bigger kind of commitment um so we will i mean we will see long term benefits but we will also see lots and lots of different scams as is become the norm with crypto so just beware and ensure that the tokenomics are sound and also please just play a game only if you like playing it because i think there are other ways to earn money than to just click a button on a phone and there's more use like useful use of your time rather than just trying to play to earn it should be enjoy the gameplay and maybe earn is the better way i would want to frame it for the future yeah i think and that's not catchy but pretty good yeah maybe we can think of something to shorten it but whatever and the last prediction is that uh, we'll see a serious rise of gaming guilds uh because uh usually gamers like to kind of collect together so a gaming guild can kind of earn crypto from different web3 games they can you know collect the best gamers and and that's a massive other earning opportunity for people to join a gaming guild or invest in a gaming guild because the best gaming guilds can you know earn uh, crypto from the best crypto games out there and could actually accrue more value to a holder than a normal game itself could so watch out for gaming guilds that's the last prediction cool i think that you know we've discussed um pretty much in depth a lot about the gaming uh interaction with with web3 and crypto and the rise in prospects of game5 so um yeah i think uh unless yashin said you have anything else to add maybe we can we can wrap up um but yeah you know the the main message is make your games enjoyable add crypto as an augmentation and in the future you'll reap the benefits from seeing the impact that primitives like composability and uh liquidity can have on gaming economies but you know the first and most important thing to get right is just make a fun game
yeah yeah make a fun game and then really ensure that your economic design is sound uh, because web2 games we've seen you know economies kind of collapse currencies hyperinflate try to ensure that doesn't happen with your game usually most i mean pretty much all games it ends up hyperinflating but if you can delay that as much as possible with good design choices that's the way to go yeah and don't try to make it a ponzi scheme style thing and in, in, instead ensure that more money is coming in than leaving the system yeah a good a useful mental model is you know um right now we have game developers without any web3 experience or we have web3 developers without any game development experience yeah right um what we need is web2 like game developers with web3 experience and that is what uh, you know there's in it's very scarce right now i think there are a couple teams working on it like you know you have big time big times a game that i'm looking forward to um but these are like when these go when the, this cohort becomes slightly uh, more significant is when i think the whole ecosystem will let's say mature or be on the right track to maturity yeah i guess if we if we kind of looking at games to watch out for i would put star atlas and eluvium on that list also because they looked like they had good gameplay and there's the crypto aspect also so yeah definitely wants to watch out for yep cool perfect thanks uh, thanks everyone for listening in and uh, catch you on next week's episode of genesis block please don't forget to like share and subscribe and watch out for the article that's coming on gamefi later on this week cheers cheers everyone see you guys bye Let's <laughs> go.